Hopheads. I'm Justin Crosley. And I'm Nick Ziegler. And we are the Hop and Brew School podcast. Also joining us today, and I haven't seen him in a while, so I'm excited that he's back in the studio with us, Brewing Network's resident Hophead, Nathan Smith. Hey, Justin. Welcome back, Nate. Thank you. It's been a minute. <laughs> well, it's we got a pleasure to sit here again. It's good to have you back in the studio. And we, you know, we've got this new podcast we've been doing, the, the Hop and Brew School show. And uh, what better co host than Nate is what I thought. Well, thank you. And pleasure to meet you, too, Nick. Coming Likewise, I've heard a lot of things and uh, all about the hop geekery and the homebrewing geekery, so yeah. it was a good thing. This we'll get it. the hop heads going here. That's oh, exactly yeah. exactly what we're here to do. So Nick Ziegler, of course, uh, you will remember, is from Yakima Chief Hops. And our job here is to connect the world's finest brewers and homebrewers with more knowledge about hops so we can all drink better beer. Damn straight. <laughs> this is, as we said before, a completely self-serving enterprise. Yeah, we should have just called it the Better Beer Podcast. Well, Bruce Strong's kind of got that one covered and cornered, I think, man. You're right. You're right. <laughs> All right. Well, today, uh, we're going to do a little bit of hop troubleshooting. Uh, I do believe that in the previous podcast, I mentioned that we're going to be talking about uh, using hops in this episode, but we switched it up a little bit because we wanted to talk first about some of the problems you might encounter, different uh, off flavors, um, and actually even some of the desirable flavors. So today we're going to be talking all about hop troubleshooting. Uh, you can reach us if you ever have questions to add to the show at hopandbrewschool at thebrewingnetwork.com. Send your show ideas and questions there, and uh, we'll, we'll address them at a later date on the air. All right, so how do we jump right in here, Nick, to problems that uh, we'll find related to hops? Well, it's kind of complicated, but um, I'd like to start sort of top down, and I'd like to ask you all about your opinions here. Um, so, like... There's a lot of potential things that can go wrong in a relatively simple process. Mm -hmm. I mean, beer is really complex and dynamic and wonderful, which is why we love it. Um, but um, oftentimes, and this is from a brewing perspective as well as a hop industry person perspective, um, there's a lot of off flavors and issues that are ascribed to hops that may not necessarily solely be due to issues with that ingredient. I see. So I'd kind of like to start off by like, what do we mean by hop derived problems in beer? Okay. So to you guys, I would ask, what are some of the common problems or com some sort of the, th the, the issues or off flavors or just in general, you know, perhaps not the desired outcome that y'all have perceived in beers that you might ascribe to being from hops? Okay. So you take one like grassiness, right? Oh, that yeah. seems like it would be pretty well centered on in a hop related issue. Oh, Maybe not exclusively, but pretty close to no, exclusively. No, absolutely. So grassiness for, for me personally is, is absolutely one that can be, that can be a negative attribute. Um, but I think that it's actually really an important positive flavor at the right balance. Aggressively dry hop beer makes exhibit some of that yeah. and wouldn't necessarily be a negative thing. But say, for example, you're having a, a beer that would centered on just bitterness and not necessarily hop aroma, hop flavor. Some grassiness or certainly excessive grassiness would be an off, an off flavor, not something desirable. Right. Yeah. So I would I would count that so in, into the sort of like yeah. So you said it, you said it perfectly. Excessive grassiness is a big one, um, but excessive is very very subjective. So yeah. there are and so there's there's we, this is something we have to address mm -hmm. is that we got to recognize that there are going to be sort of subjective. Um, qualities that we either like or don't like and so one of the big things is like you know this, this is all about personal preference and i guess this is sort of what we're trying to do is help brewers make beer 
the way they want it to come out. Yeah. Um, and the thing to, to recognize is that, you know, we all have blindnesses to certain aromatic and compounds and flavors. Definitely. We all have sensitivities. Like, you're going to see some of my sensitivities in this one. People are like, oh, I didn't think that was an off flavor. I thought that was just, like, hoppy. <laughs> like, yeah, I hate that. Um, or um, there's also the thing is that it's just, you know, basically – if you like that or not, and, and it's what, what, what is, what's nice to you might be not nice to somebody else. Right. So, and th- there's a whole cultural thing in here, and we can get into that in later episodes with sensory, but <laughs> um, but there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. So, so one that's always come up uh, for me, and I I learned this. Uh, this particular flavor years ago by sticking my foot in my mouth, actually. Uh, I was with three uh, world-renowned brewers. Hang, hang on. Do you mean literally? <laughs> no. Because that is an off-flavor. Is it really? <laughs> yeah. No. And it is actually associated with hops. Not the literal one. Um, I was with three world-renowned brewers. It was years ago. They, they were taking me uh, around to different breweries. It was a very nice day. We went back to one of these uh, brewers' tasting room at the end, uh, served us an IPA, and and, and the first thing that comes out of my mouth is, um, what's that plastic flavor that's really strong in this <laughs> beer? <laughs> and, I, you know, I was used to being on the show where we just say everything all the time. And one of the other brewers, not the one who had made the beer, uh, the one who had made the beer just kind of stared at me like I was a, <laughs> well, you know what. Uh, the other brewer was like, oh, you know, that, that can come, you know, from very new beers. If it's a very new beer, sometimes uh, it hasn't aged quite enough or something. I don't know what, it, what, what, what line he gave me. Uh, anyhow, I've noticed the flavor often since then, too, particularly. In, in very hoppy beers. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not versed enough to know or remember if it was always with a specific hop. Uh, I just remember that sometimes, uh, and, and they, they, they've never been my favorite breweries on the planet, uh, produce very hoppy beers, have this kind of plastic, or maybe maybe diesel-y too, but, but like, plastic is like the main... Like plastic shower curtain, like really stink, yeah. stinky kind of too, uh, as, well as, as yes. well as plasticky flavor. Yes. Yeah. So that's actually not a hop-off flavor. Okay. If it smells like a plastic shower curtain, that's going to be either a chloro or a bromophenol. Okay. And that's uh, chlorine or excessive bromine so in the water. So sometimes you might have a hop character that would accentuate things accentuate those two absolutely perhaps um and i uh we're still doing i mean actually we're not still doing we're hell we're starting a lot of the research on this stuff trying to figure out exactly how hop and water and hop and barley and malt and and yeast compounds interact but that i mean that's a rabbit hole that that we're going to dive into but it's probably going to take me the rest of my career to figure it out to figure that out it's still good to know that it's just um an indirect association then that it's always in these particularly hoppy beers that makes me think it's a hop characteristic yeah and okay. that, what, what's what's interesting is that and i think Nate and I, you and i were talking about this just before we started is that um the sort of the, the main and i've mentioned this before the main driver of of a lot of the, the sort of the beer growth in the last you know 10 or 20 years has been hoppiness um, right. you, you can ascribe 67 percent of craft beer growth to hop driven styles those american kind of classic uh, uh not, not just american not I, I would i would say i would say that in general like hop driven so um uh Pale ales, IPAs, and the British are going to hate me for this one. Uh, pale ales, IPAs, ambers, um, and to some extent, some of the hoppy pilsners and lagers, um, the ones that are really that really depend on hop character for their. So not just a citrus, pine, dank kind of hop profile, but also spicy and, and fruity and everything yeah, else you get yeah. from like kind of a worldwide and hop to your, profile. To right? your point earlier, grassy, um, yes, which is it's, it's a big point of it. Um, 
But the uh, the plastic is actually interesting. Well, we're going to get into this in a, in a minute, but plastic is an interesting one because that does actually occur in in hops. And you also mentioned something earlier before the show about papery. Yeah, papery or or cardboard cardboard. And this is one I'm I'm particularly sensitive to. I guess a lot of people are on this one because it, it it can be at least in my opinion fairly obvious. But yeah, uh, it's start if it's mild, I, I describe it as papery. Mm-hmm. If it's not mild, it, it's really more of a cardboard. Flavor. A wet cardboard for me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would also sometimes describe it as pencil shavings. Okay, yeah. It's like really, it reminds you of like second grade using those old awesome pencil sharpeners that yeah. never seem to, to wear out. Graphite and wood. Kind Graphite of and wood, exactly, thing. exactly. Yeah. The first mosaic beer I ever had really had that pencil-y, uh, and, and pencil and crayon flavor to it. And, uh, and First I, impressions are everything sometimes. And well, I, then I thought, great, all every mosaic <laughs> beer I ever have is going to taste like pencils and crayons. Not the case. Uh, case in point, this uh, wonderful one from Founders, yeah. Mosaic Promise, is doesn't have any of those doesn't yeah. have any of those characteristics. But I instantly made the association. Somebody told me, "Hey, try my Mosaic beer." I tasted pencil and crayons, and I, I wrote off Mosaic until I had another. I had beer. that experience <laughs> with Citra the first time I had it. Really, more like a plasticky, almost like a plasticky phenol, not like a plasticky shower curtain <laughs> kind of thing, but a plasticky phenol. Right. It just happened to be not well, the greatest the plasticky, sample of that beer. Yeah, the plasticky uh, phenol is a plasticky shower curtain. I mean, ah, yeah, okay. that, that's the same. It's the same thing. Uh, what's interesting about the papery, though, is you can get that from hops with mm-hmm. a tremendous quantity of leaf matter, generally whole leaf, in uh, like in, in contact with the beer for a long time. Um, but papery is again an, an, another flavor that is actually typically uh, malt derived. Exactly. We would associate that with kind of an old beer that sat on the shelf three, four months and warm delicate, room temp a, a lightly delicately oxidized. Um, uh, you know, old beer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, mm-hmm. with hops, though, you're not with the quantity of hops that you see in modern beers and the beers that we're mostly talking about here. You're not going to see that expressed as papery. So, if you do have papery in a really hoppy beer that it's has probably other, it's probably whole cone, it's probably or just just a metric ton, not really metric ton, but a <laughs> tremendous quantity of vegetal matter okay. in yes. contact with the beer for a while. All right, so. Um, we've we've hit some of some of some of the big ones that I want to uh, that I want to sort of bring up. But are there any other things like so the diesel plasticky one? Um, the diesel pla- kind of pulled apart from that just to segue for a second. You yeah, mentioned please. this earlier, Justin. Diesel that was one I really disliked when I first encountered it, and then realized as that quality is eased off in a beer or in certain hops have a little bit less of it, you get this kind of white wine characteristic that can come out in some of those hops Ooh. that go crazy diesel Okay. Interesting. Right? So I don't know if that's necessarily a quality of the hop issue or a qu- usage and how it's used in the beer, but I've noticed there's a connection sometimes between both good and bad qualities. So one will kind of cross over into the dark side, yeah, yeah right. Okay. From, from a good characteristic to n- not a desirable one. Okay, and right? that can happen both ways. Mm, um, yeah. So, so I guess we're just jumping into this now, dude. Yeah. Um, so with the diesel, uh, well, I, I'm going to back up in a minute, but but with that one, I'm going to hold that thought and come back. To yeah, it, you can that's hold that. Really, come, come back. This one's probably complicated, but it's all complicated, but it's all good. The idea was like it's not always this line of good bad. Sometimes the same thing can go both. Direction. And we briefly touched on that earlier. So, and this is we're going to get into way more detail in the hop chemistry series. But I will touch on it today because it's pretty cool. Um, plastic is one that I describe as not the chlorophenol, the bromophenol thing. Like not the like you've opened a new um, shower curtain, you've uh, unboxed a tarp that just smells of the, pla- <laughs> of the factory that it came from. Yeah. Right. Um, for me, um, plasticine. 
Okay. And Plastic crayons. Like, uh, uh, like, like a new box of crayons, like not waxy, but there's like a plastic. Well, you want wax is a totally different flavor, but, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. but it's, it's, it's like, it's that's actually, why I made the distinction. Yeah. It's very, very, very low level uh, mm-hmm. typically, at least to me, but I'm, I may, I may not be sensitive to it, but plasticine is, uh, to me like a uh, modeling clay. Okay. And crayons. It's not the waxy crayon. It's the other f- right. aroma there that does share characteristics with diesel. Okay. Because they're yep. both petroleum distillates so, mm-hmm. or characters. Um, anyway, but yeah, that, so that's, that's something the way. So the, this is what we talked about earlier is, uh, you know, like getting our sensory program and everybody talking about the same characters is really, really important because we're going to be striving these things. And we're going to be striving them, describing them from our own personal perspective. So what might be plastic to some person, if you're trained, you might say, oh, no, that's, that's, a, that's a chlorine-based issue. Or okay. if, it's, uh, if it's, you know, diesel-y, it's like, oh, that's interesting because, you know, diesel degrades into Muscat flavors and Sauvignon right. Blanc flavors. But let's exactly. talk about that going yeah. forward. So are you saying that this plasticine flavor is a hop attribute? It can be. Okay. Um, but typically it is an attribute that is present not necessarily from the hops themselves, but can arise during processing. Okay. Um, and uh, what I've noticed is that um, certain varieties are more are more prone to it than others, and we're going to get into that. Um, but um, you can also get this in malt, and you can also get this from yeast. So it's it's really hard to pick out that particular issue. Okay. Um, and I can say from my personal experience as a 38 year old male who grew up overseas but was raised in an American centric household. Um, so yeah, many caveats there. Uh, to me, it smelled like crayons. Yeah. And yeah. modeling clay. And possibly the modeling clay that is now illegal in California because it probably caused cancer in like All first the graders. Yeah. Exactly. Who knows the hell what, what it was about? <laughs> it had petroleum distillates in it. Yeah, there you go. There like you go. were saying earlier. Um, yeah. But in general, if we're going to talk about like hop off flavors or, 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 or issues derived from that might, you might be associated with hops, I would say that there's three major categories. Okay. Um, to start with, obviously, there's the undesirable character. Secondly, you're going to have sort of like an excessive presence of something where it's unbalanced. And then third, you know, a lack of character that, that something is just missing. And um, you have to kind of figure out where, where that's gone. Okay. Despite the fact that you might, might have dry hopped something exactly the same as you did last time, or you might have hopped yeah. it in a kettle exactly the same as you did last so time. So stuff that shouldn't be there, too much of something, or not enough of something. Yeah, that's, there right? you go. That's perfect, yeah. perfect summation. Okay. So let's, pay, let's start with some things that, that you feel are directly related to hops that fall in the undesirable category. Okay. My number one thing, and this is the thing that I find in almost all IPAs, including commercial varieties, I freely admit that I am very sensitive to this, but it's something that I really dislike. Um, and it is the... It, in general, the class of compounds that are responsible for it are mercaptans. And mercaptans, again, are thiols, so they're sulfur-containing compounds mm-hmm. um, that are quite aromatic, and uh, they're relatively volatile, so they'll float up at the headspace, so that's one of the first things you smell in a beer. Um, and they can actually be flavor-active as well, so you can taste them as, as well as just smell them. Um, and it's a broad class of compounds. Um, the way I typically describe them is a cooked cabbage 
very so, so it's quite sulfury, but in a weird way, like sulfury and veggie. Um, it might be the bin juice thing I, I referenced last time, which is uh, sort of the the juicy stank you get after lifting your garbage bag out of a out of a trash can in the kitchen. Hmm. Um, it'll be the water at, that you lazily left out after steaming broccoli the night before. Oh yeah, like all those things. Those are all these particular group of thiols called mercaptans, or they're these mercaptans that um, contribute this. The way I describe it is rotting veg. Okay. And slight, like, you know, like if you were near like a vegan's house, it might be sewage. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, Nate? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But when you open it, if you open like a, a bag of arugula that you bought like two weeks ago and you forgot about it in the bottom of your fridge and you smell that coming out, yeah. those are mercaptans. Yeah, and th- you're saying you notice these in, uh, because you're sensitive to it, you notice these in all IPAs. No, 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 no. Oh, Not okay. all. Okay. A lot. Okay. Like, all for right. example, Checking the beer you're drinking now. Yeah, a very low level and not offensive. Okay, and that's the thing. Is also that this this can be um, undesirable, or it can be, you know, you can have levels of it that are too high, um, because a lot of the compounds that are responsible for these are also the lifter compounds or the sulfur compounds that drive aroma upwards. Not, I mean, not not physically, but they they make your nose like sort of perk up and get real excited about things. Okay. Um, because there's so, such a low threshold for you detecting that they're there. There's such a low threshold yeah. for you detecting. And also, um, they're associated with what we talked about last time, which is fruit ripening. Yes. Fermentation. Yay, booze. And put- putrescence. So, so all these rotting. things that are kind of like survival stuff. Exactly. Well, survival right. and also good and bad. Right? Good yeah. time in the cave. Yes. Um, and uh, that that's... Uh, those are what those are. Those are that. That's why we're sensitive to those. And so that stuff in hops is also quite volatile. All of them are captains, or, or they're some of them are quite persistent. Is it some kind of, of them? Mix are, and, and that's the thing is, some of them are quite persistent. But yeah. but the ones that you smell are quite uh, quite volatile. Yeah. Which is why one of the things I always recommend is if someone opens a bag of hops and goes, oh, and like that smells like cabbage. Come back to it in a few minutes okay. because they're volatile. They're in the headspace. They've come off of the hops, which means they're not going to end up in your beer. Okay. So yes. uh, you know, if, if the bag of hops smells stinky to start with, walk away for at least ten minutes because we are we get blind to sulfur very very quickly because okay. you know, let's so face it, we ate a lot of meat as uh, as hunter gatherers. Of course, just to, you know, you wouldn't want to be too sensitive to sulfur. So some of those sulfur compounds will. As you open the bag and let the hops sit for a minute, they're going to disappear. They're going to volatilize off. Yeah, yeah. So you're never going to get those in, in the finished Yeah, product. if it's volatilized off, it's not there. It's never And basically, if you smell in the headspace of a tank or during fermentation, it means it's blowing off. It's getting pushed out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so, so after fermentation, if you got to do a burp or something like that, you can always check. But, you know, sniff. You know, go ahead and pressurize it up and then, then gas it off and smell what's coming out. And if it's stanky, then taste the beer. And if the beer in the glass... Is stanky, mm-hmm. then you need to you need to address that somehow. Right, right. Uh, but if it's not, then that's all in the headspace. Then just pump some more gas in and gas it off. And that again. stuff is you, coming yeah, off. Yeah, it's coming yeah. out. It's great. Not going to stay in solution necessarily. So mm-hmm. if it if it if it goes into the beer, mm-hmm. you know, so now we know it's in the beer. I'm tasting it. You're tasting it. We're all having that that kind of uh, vegetal stank going on. Um, did I do something wrong as a brewer? Did I get a bad batch of hops? Did I? What do you think happened? Well. I always suggest that people smell the hops before they use them, mm-hmm. bearing in mind the open bag test. Um, and you got to rub them. Uh, just definitely smell them. And if they, if they smell good, then they're going to contribute good things to your beer in general. If you don't detect anything wrong with them. Okay. The number one cause of the cabbagey, veggie, rotten, mercaptan thing is actually a yeast and hop interaction. 
which is that mm. um, when you uh, and this is one of the reasons before that I've said that I, d I don't necessarily advocate dry hopping during fermentation or when there's a lot of yeast in suspension is that you know hops are antimicrobial and I, I need to correct myself from last time is that um, one of the big things as I said is that, uh, that some of the alpha acids will glom onto the cell coats of bacteria and yeast they do do that but they also the, the, the primary thing is that for a lot of beer spoilage bacteria um, they actually act as an ionic uh, you know acceptor for some of the very important cofactors in in the bacteria so they actually they actually screw up the uh, the bacteria's ability to, to, to survive and, and to generate ATP okay um, anyway moving on um, the hops in contact with yeast and with uh, bacteria, depending on what you're doing, are going to accelerate cell senescence and death. And so you're going to end up with higher levels of autolyzed yeast, and they're going to crap out a lot of off compounds, which are intermediaries and therefore very, um, I guess, volatile in terms of how they will interact with other compounds, which then leads to, when I've noticed this Many apologies to all you New England IPA brewers out there. I have noted this, noticed this excessively commonly, extremely commonly in New England IPAs. It's a pitfall okay. of the style, essentially. It's a pitfall of the yeah. style. And so, and it's guys, it's possible to make New England IPAs without leaving yeast in suspension or totally. in your tank. Um, I've said this before. Um, but also in double IPAs, where you are going to assume that the yeast are under a lot of stress. Right. And so... Now, this Mercaptan character is a part of the dankness that is so popular out here on the West Coast. Yeah. But in excessive levels, it makes things, for me at least, unpleasant to drink. Like, I can't, like, I, don't, I almost don't drink double IPAs anymore because I'm like, ugh, that's just, it's so, too much. So you're tasting what essentially is that, if so, that cell wall is coated with alpha acid. Mm -hmm. It's accelerating the breakdown of the of the cell itself. Well, it, it's going to so the, so the yeast is going to is going to is going to die first. It's gonna, mm -hmm. So it's going to enter dormancy. It can't it can't affect it can't pass stuff out of its wall. It can't affect effective iron transport. And yeah. so it's, it's it's two things. It's the, it's the cell coat being coated and also um, the uh, the uh, ionic interference from the from the iso alpha acids. Okay. Um, and then um, what ends up happening is the cell dies, and then because there's nothing holding the uh, the, the internal pressure ag for, against the uh, the membrane, yes, that will rupture, and then you have all the crap that's inside. All the stuff well, that's inside of the yeast then becomes part of this mercaptan off flavor. It, it, it contributes to the formation of these. It's things. not the only thing, but that's something that contributes to the. the so it interacts issue. with a lot of the hop compounds and forms mercaptan. Gotcha. So that's the thing right, that's more right. important. So. Uh, Given that this is the troubleshooting show, mm -hmm. how are brewers avoiding that? Get rid of your yeast get before yeast, dry hopping. Get the yeast off the Got beer. Okay. Or get the beer off the yeast, either once, way. Once they're done, yeah. Um, and, and, and I don't mean 100% off, but just minimize the, 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 the dead stuff in the cone. Okay. As has been said many, many times, yeast in the cone isn't doing anything for your beer. It's just sitting there cooking, rotting, and breaking apart and contributing a wonderful bovril uh, for the British or a meat broth character to your beer. So one of the things that you can do is, you know, just after fermentation really kicks off, if, you, if there's yeast in the cone, you just open the valve real quickly. And if you're getting yeast out, get that out of there because that is just going to cook and lies as your fermentation temperature fermentation temperature rises. Because you're talking a super active fermentation. Anything that's still that's it's, stuck that's in dead. that cone at the bottom, that's not going to do. That's anything not going to do you. anything. Yeah. Um, and then also as fermentation slows down, continue to you know unless you're cropping off that tank. If you're cropping off that tank, you know 
definitely dumped the first the first cone, sort of not the first whole cone, but like the first the first goop, the first yeast goop out of there, and dump it slowly. Um, but um, as you go on, as fermentation starts to slow down, start you know burping that and dumping it out a little bit. You're probably getting other stuff you don't want in there anyways. Exactly. Anything that's dropping to the bottom, any kind of it's early. Tube, they're tube they're, and other they're early flockers, right? So you don't necessarily want that. Um, and then you know you know I would if you're if you're if your fermentation time is a day and a half or three days. Um, middle of the second day or early in the second day, stop dumping and just make sure that your, your stuff's going okay. And then you can, yep. then you can start taking off okay. for, for harvesting. Um, but that, that is, that is in my experience, the number one cause of these sets of off flavors. Okay. Um, you can dry hop towards the end of fermentation if you're going to do it quickly and mm-hmm. get rid of the yeast. Yeah, because I've heard that that's a very common practice, that people will want to dry hop when there's still a little bit of activity left. Lim- um, limit some oxidation, perhaps, and some other things, and, and possibly limit other other issues, but it could introduce this one. Yeah. Everything's so a trade-off, right? I've done a lot of personal studies, and we're actually going to be doing some, some publicable studies soon, guys, um, on um, you know just when you should dry hop. Mm-hmm. And so dry hopping during the tail end of fermentation, as we mentioned before, mm-hmm. has an advantage in that it is going to induce that um, hop creep, I guess. It's mm-hmm. going to induce the, the enzymes in the hops are going to activate and they're going to start to break down some of those um, middle chain dextrins and long chain dextrins yes. that are typically unfermentable, um, which will then remove the possibility for later dry hopping to do those. Right. Now, while you still have yeast present to potentially work on those sugars and now typically when you're when you're when you're dry hopping anyway you're mm-hmm. going to have you, you have plenty of yeast to deal with those anyway i right. mean your, your yeast counts are going to be in the 40 million range 40 to 60 million range per ml um so you're you're fine um but um when uh yeah if you dry hop early you, you eliminate that extra drop in pg mm-hmm. and then you also eliminate the subsequent diacetyl formation or more importantly you create more time for the remaining yeast to absorb to that absorb diacetyl. that diacetyl yeah. and, and convert it back into stuff that just isn't, absor- isn't diacetyl <laughs> no so, so they absorb it they don't they absorb, absorb it and that's they, it they absorb it and they hold on to they it they metabolize they're it. dumb i mean they're single cell organisms come on dude right uh, <laughs> um they're lovely and i love them but you know they're they're brilliant and dumb they're that's brilliant it. and dumb they're yeah. really they're one track ponies they're great at what they do um we wouldn't have it any other way it's great oh it's great yeah we love the byproduct it's fine Co-product, please. Co-product. <laughs> um, yeah, as we all, as as people say, we're yeast ranchers, um, and we just harvest the co-product. Mm, yeah, um, very good one. I was once told never to say that we drink yeast uh, awful, uh, or smell yeast farts, <laughs> or uh, drink bee vomit uh, ever again. So, uh, <laughs> so now it's just co-product. So modify the language accordingly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, okay. So. Um, we kind of started off there, but um, there's a bunch of other undesirables that I think we should probably talk about briefly. Is yeah, okay? let's do that before the break. Okay, so um, some of the I'm going to list these off fairly quickly, and then we can yep. sort of start digging into them. Cool. So some of the undesirable characters that I frequently hear about and see and personally perceive are vegetal characters, and those are going to be some. Uh, I sometimes I describe them as succulent cactus thing, or like a uh, a green pepper character, or stuff like that. Yes. Um, and green pepper is a weird one because it's also in the earthy category, but we'll go into that. Uh, grassiness, as you mentioned before, is a big yes. one. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, sulfurous character, so, and that that actually relates to the mercaptans. But there are some sulfur characters that you're going to get out of hops that don't wouldn't be there before. Um, a harsh bitterness. You know, the one that's like, uh, not like a pleasant clean, palate cleaning bitterness, but it's the one in the back of your throat that goes, whoa, that I just 
Yeah. Chew some aspirin. Um, okay. Astringency. Mm-hmm. You know, the mouth drying, puckering, like, ooh, I could only have like a third of a glass of this. But not just astringency from grain from oversparging, but astringency from hop yeah, character and, itself. And, yeah. and if you've ever um, done the unfortunate experiment of trying to induce both of these characters in yourself so you can tell what they're like. Oh, that sounds they, painful. They are distinctive. Yeah, um, I believe it. One is, one is a lot more, um, well, for lack of a better word, grain husky. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a lot more just like, oh, chewing on tea leaves. Um, cheesy, isovaleric mm-hmm. acid. Uh, sweaty feet, so hence the yeah, foot the, and mouth. Foot and mouth. Yeah, yeah there you go. Um, that's a big one. Uh, a pretty nasty one. Really oh, I one re- of my pet peeves. Oh especially yeah, especially for hot pour beers. Well, it's, and, the, and especially because that's just that's down to bad handling. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into that okay. later. Uh, diesel plastic we've touched on. Um, onion garlic. Yes, I am personally really not a fan of that. Yes, some other people who I may or may not have mentioned from a. You know whose names might be Baramy Schmarshall. Um, uh, they they are less sensitive to that because, in some ways, in, 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 at low levels, it can it can actually really amplify a beer. Exactly, at really tiny, 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 tiny levels, amounts. it can for, be for pretty me. amazing. But but yes, by the way, it's the same way. in food. Onion and garlic in the right amounts are fantastic. Exactly, and too I'm, much is off-putting. I'm sorry, um, <laughs> you're wrong. Garlic is the foundation of the food pyramid. Um, they they recently updated it because it was wrong before. Before it was like bread. And then milk, and right. then a little bit of meat, and you now it's change it. no, it's garlic, okay. and then uh, cheesecake, um, <laughs> and beer. Got it. Um, anyway, uh, caramelly cloying. You guys this, ever, one, this one is uh, intriguing to me. Yeah, uh, please, this is, this please expand it. on that one. Uh, yeah. We're going to get into that, but yeah. that is actually it is from hops. Okay, but it is because of poor handling of the beer. Oh, that's oxidized beer. I see. Oh, yes, I know exactly what you're saying. Now. Um, yeah. And that's uh, as the beer starts to oxidize before it goes full on paper and all those sorts of things. So actually, use, no. This, this is no. this is so papery is the, it's a different mechanism. Okay. Um, but caramelly cloying is like when it tastes like an old barley wine or like yes, super caramelly. It's like if you get a like an old bottle of a double IPA. Um, and you just taste it you're like, wow, that's just sweet and sickly. Yeah. And there's yep. still some bitterness there, but it's just like, Ugh. But it mostly tastes like your basement. Yeah. Tastes like old Crystal 80 in your basement or yeah. something. It's weird. What the heck is yeah. Crystal? Oh, the, 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 the grain. The, the I thought it was, I was yeah, like yeah, yeah. sort of weird 80s like soft drink or something. <laughs> no. Uh, there probably was from, something called that. But. Being from the 80s. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's that. And it's just, it's really, the way I described it is really, it's, it's, it's aged hops. And okay. it's a very specific, very high caramel character. Um, and there's two more. One is Lightstruck, oh, which the, is I mean that one's skunky one. Yeah, that's easy. Although we were laughing about this on yeah, Friday. I Friday, think. yeah, we just walked outside, and I, I, I told him about how we we did a thing where we were trying to trying to get Lightstruck for a tasting panel, and Tommy was like, he walked outside and stood there for a minute and a half and walked back in. And it was totally Lightstruck. Yep, then doesn't take long. No, and then we we're like, okay, how long does it take? And so he walked out into the sun, turned around, back, came back. It was light struck. It, it, these are these reactions. They're, they're occurring at the speed of light when you yes. think about it, obviously. Um, okay. But it was, it's pretty crazy. And then the final one is the muddled, dirty flavor. Mm. And that's just sort of the general, like, what is going on in this beer? And to me, I, it was, it was hard for me to k- k- categorize that into undesirable, excessive, or a lack of character. But I'm going to put it in the undesirable because it's just... It's an assembly problem, and it's too much. Okay. 
All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to dive further into these and, of course, cover some of the excessive flavors uh, and then the lack of character flavors. So hang in there. You're listening to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Hop and Brew School podcast. We are still talking about hop off flavors and troubleshooting. And we got a few more things to get through before we dive into troubleshooting, right? Uh, So I think, Nick... How about walk us through some of the other things that we mentioned, like excessive presence and lack of character? All right. So excessive presence is basically going to be something that there's too much of something that you would might normally want, but uh, is, is at a level that is really not, not doing it for you. So um, some of the big ones are going to be, the most common ones are going to be grassy flavors, mm-hmm. um, which can be wonderful in the right balance. Um, bitterness or lingering bitterness. So it's a, it's a bitterness that is either too high, which is pretty easy to solve, or a lingering bitterness, which is more of a character of the bitterness. It sticks to the back of your throat and just kind of coats your mouth for a while. Yeah, that's uh, the one that turned me off of IPAs for a while until I, I feel like brewers kind of reined that in a little bit. Uh, now with hoppier pale ales or uh, what is it, like a session IPAs mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, anyhow, yeah, that's one that really turned me off of IPAs for a good period of time, I feel like that that was very present in a lot of commercial beers. So you think about those IPAs 2005, and people were just, it was a war for IBU. Yeah. People were just trying to get as much IBU in there as possible. And then by 2010 or so, things started to even out a little bit. Well, so there, there's a come notable in time, exception right? in that, which is, did you all ever have uh, McKellar's 1,000 IBUs or 1,000 yes. IBUs light? No. I remember that one. Uh, yes. is, uh, it smelled wonderful. Okay. Because <laughs> um, it was hoppier in hell. Yeah, um, yeah. But tasting it, it was... Uh, it, it, you know, I, I'm a bit of a hophead, just in case you haven't noticed, but um, right. my stomach would flip drinking that beer. Just even having a sip of that one. Oh, no, I, I, I went through multiple pints because it smelled so good, and it tasted great. It was just <laughs> that as soon as I hear your stomach, it was like, whoa, that's a lot of ISO. Okay. Um, but it was good. Um, and then after that, like, so this is, this is the excessive presence. But you, could, you could really have excessive presence of anything, like dankness or what have you. Um, but in general, I would say that astringency is a big one as well. Um, and I think that's that's pretty important to, to talk about because that's actually a, a pretty uh, easy one to address, but it's also a very easy one to acquire. Okay. Okay. And then finally, this last one's a little weird, um, but it's excessive fruitiness. And that's um, much more of a complex interaction than just hops, but they can add to that. Okay. All I right. thought excessive fruitiness is now the desirable flavor in uh, in our hoppy beers. So excessive tropical fruit actually smells um, kind of like rotting fruit. Okay. Yes. Um, and it that's, can. And that's that's an excessive ester and hop compound interaction, and we'll talk about that. Got it. Um, and then the last last thing is uh, this is this is I mean obviously the most easy to address, but it's a lack of character, mm-hmm. and that would be a lack of bitterness, a lack of a cl- clean snap to the to the bitterness. So it's a, so it's again it's towards that lingering or towards that harshness, rather and sort of like a round bitterness that makes you just feel not great about life, rather than <laughs> like a okay boom this is this is a palate cleansing bitterness right like a bitterness that you invite the next sip is exactly yeah. and you're like ooh I want more of that yeah. top note but their bitterness is mm, yeah a pilsner basically right. Um, and then um, top notes, a lack of aromatics. Right. Um, and I'm going to talk about this in a little bit more detail because that's something that can emerge over the life of a beer. And it's not just necessarily due to hopping, but it's also due to storage conditions and package size and type. Um, a lack of hop flavor, very easy. So you guys, I can, you know, one gold 
chocolate coin <laughs> to the person who guesses where that's coming from. Uh, <laughs> and then finally, sort of just a general lingering character. Like it doesn't, it persists and it coats your mouth and it doesn't go away. The bitterness or just any yeah. of the flavors? Any of the flavors. Because okay. this is really important. You, like, I mean, let's, let's face it here, guys. We make beer for a living or for fun. Mm -hmm. yep. And uh, for a living, you want people to have another pint. Right. For fun, you want to empty your keg so you can brew the next madness. Exactly. So if someone's feeling cloyed, uh, you don't necessarily want that to happen. Even though it's a very full flavor, you don't want that to just hang around like all night. Okay. Again, back to, that, to the question you asked a couple episodes ago, uh, do people ever just taste the extract? Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, it, when, it, when, the, when the hot flavor lasts for three to four hours, it's not. That's not necessarily a good thing. It's right. like a hazing exercise. In the oh, it is absolutely a hazing exercise. It's good fun. Okay, yeah. all right. So especially, I would, and I would say that last point, especially any of those off flavors, if they're kind of hanging around, if you, grassiness is lingering a little while, or any kind of sulfurous thing is lingering a while, even if you can't quite put your finger on it, if you're kind of still tasting that 30, 40 seconds after you've had a had a gulp, that's probably not a not something you want to come away with or you want your customer to come away with. Correct. I mean, like, yeah. for example, I just finished up my, my previous glass of deliciousness, um, and it... Made you want another. It was there it's, and it's, gone. And now it's just a little bit bitter, and that's why I want some more. Right. right. Um, whereas I've had some, and I've, hell, I've made some, where I'm like, okay, that tasted nice. Okay. Still tasting that. Yeah. Yep. I'm going to go for, like, a vodka soda. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So All right. let's uh, let's troubleshoot some of these. Okay. So I think we, we talked about the Cabbage Emer Captain already, which is basically limit the exposure, the long-term um, exposure to yeast. Okay. So you don't want um, a lot of hop compounds from the vegetal matter, like from, from the dry hop, in contact with your yeast um, and even potentially from oils because the uh, lysing yeast is going to produce, produce a, is going to release a lot of intermediary compounds that will bind to these other hop com compounds and either change their formation or um, elevate the amount of mercaptans in the beer. And okay. Basically, you're, you can tell it just tastes like tired beer. It tastes like tired vegetable matter. It tastes like tired yeast. Or, in more scientific terms, it tastes like the putrescence of single-celled organisms and sulfur compounds that come off of those. It tastes like the putrescence of vegetable matter anoxically and the substances that come off of those. All the guts of all that stuff just sort of mixed together and yeah. interacting off each other. So an extreme example of Mercaptans would be when you, uh, if you're near a pond or like a, a, a waste settlement pond and right. you drag a stick through it and then you get all that sulfurous nastiness oh, yeah. up, yep. like the fart, that's yep. an extreme example. But if you imagine farts when you smell a beer that you're not sure why you like it or not, or if, if you like it or not, <laughs> it's, it, might be, it might be like somebody crop dusted the bar. Right. It right. might not the be the beer. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Well, well, it could be the beer. Okay. Um, that's the problem. So that one's easy enough then. It's, it's, easy, it's easy enough. You just have to adjust your process, and it's just basically re reduce the amount of, of, of yeast contact over time at a high temperature. Okay. And the next two, vegetal and grassy, are the not to do with yeast. They're to do with excessive time um, of or excessive contact time with hops, and frequently at high temperatures. Okay. Um, you don't. So so basically, I, I advocate dry hop recirculations, and I, and um, I'm gonna send Justin some some images so we can put this up on the page. Great. Um, but basically. 
you have a um, four, I guess, a four-factor sort of um, series of considerations to deal with. You have contact time. You have quantity. You have um, temperature. Mm-hmm. And you have um, agitation, effectively. So, like, so, in, so I guess that's, that's surface area. Sure. So it's a surface area volume thing. So if you're, if, you're, if you're dry hopping, you're recirculating, or you're bump browsing, or something like that, you're going to be able to reduce time. Okay. Um, but temperatures should still be high, so you can get all the oils in there. What is high? What temperature is high? Give so us. I would say, I mean, uh, this is going to be actually pretty low for most American brewers, but I would say no more than about 23C, which is actually pretty high, but I, I typically I would go down to even 18 to 20, which is like 60-something to 64, okay. 65. You're going to be fine. So essentially ale ferment temp, uh, fermentation temperature and below anything above your fermentation if we were in if we were in the 70s that's the high temperature right okay now you can do that if you're getting rid of your yeast first so these are ale fermentation temperatures were not where you want to store your yeast so for home brewers I would actually advocate going a little bit lower unless you can dump your yeast and I'm not a huge fan of racking Okay. Uh, because, yeah, yeah. you know, that there's, there's all sorts of challenges involved in that. Right. So you're talking the ability to have some mini cylindrical conical thing at home, dump the bottom or, off that thing. Yeah, I mean, that can work. Um, a lot of those, I don't... Some way to take the bottom off. Some way to take the bottom off. Yeah. Or, or you can rack if you can effectively purge your vessels so that right. there, there's, there's no oxygen in there. So fill them up with anoxic water. Yeah. So either uh, deaerated liquor, which you probably don't have access to. Or boiling water, which you should never, ever, ever put in a carboy no. or a better bottle. I have had no. them explodify on me. Safety, guys. Safety. Safety. Yeah. safety. Um, but any water that's been heated above 82 degrees C is going to have almost no oxygen in it. And you can transfer that to a corny keg, which is perfect, um, and then push that out with CO2, which means it will be anoxic and sterilized, so you don't even need to sanitize after after your, your, your wash step. Um, and then you can transfer your beer into there with no fear and you can dry up in that if you want to so why aren't we just you know to be to be safe about these this high temperature side why aren't we just crashing our beer entirely down to serving temperature and then dry hopping it there because again you've got time temperature surface area and surface area volume ratio mm-hmm. and um like quantity yeah. quantity yeah so you can change any one of these variables, um, but you have to increase the other three. Okay. Or at least two of the others to account for it. And so if you're down at like, you know, 32, yeah. 28, whatever your serving temperature is. It's going to take way too long. It's going to take way thing. more hops yeah. or way too long. Okay. And with longer contact time, you end up getting grassy flavors. Got right? it. And they taste like tea, papery, you know, what have you, depending on what format hops you're using. Um, similarly, the vegetal flavors, that's, again, um, some hops have, have – that, that's a hop selection issue so to, some, to some extent. Some of them have more vegetal character than others. But, again, it's, it's mostly going to be a contact time and temperature. Okay. So too long – and it's mostly contact time. So too long at any temperature is going to give you those flavors because those are the water-soluble components. So the vegetal and grassy components, like say for one of the grassy ones, a big one is cis-3-hexanol. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is actually a major component in melon and um, muscat and uh, apple, but not acetaldehyde character, um, because it's that, that fresh, 
like a fresh fresh, fresh red herb, apple not like grassy, green, not like yeah, green exactly, apple paint exactly, yeah. uh, pumpkin not like that kind not of thing not like that yeah, kind yeah. of thing no no, no. so it's like it's a, I describe it it frequently expresses like when you put it with pepper and uh, uh, like uh, ethyl butyrate it expresses as like uh, cantaloupe or honeydew melon gotcha a little bit yeah. of peach is in there too um, so right. I, I like a little bit of grass in there, or a lot of people who like really fresh hop beers. Grassy is a major component of that because that's the it's in the water soluble fraction, and those hops are full of water, and they get into a beer, and they go bloop, and you get a ton of melon, yeah, and you, you get a ton can, of melon. You can, you, you maybe can. you should for the style, right? Yeah. Correct. Um, and the big thing to, to to controlling those is making sure that you're. Um, temperature is appropriate to get the flavors you want, meaning high enough to get the things that you want out, and your contact time is low enough that you don't extract too much of the grassy and vegetal character. Okay. Um, using wet hops, again, this is an entirely different metric. Okay. Um, and so that's something that, that, that we will eventually deal with probably next season after we've all made a heck of a lot of uh, fresh up beers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. All right. Sulfurous. This is can be sulfitic or um, uh, just simple H2S, like egg character. Mm-hmm. The egg character is not usually going to come from the hops. That's usually going right. to be a yeast issue unless they had been sprayed with uh, some sort of sulfur pesticide. But I can guarantee you that none of the hops that we we distribute are... I mean, in fact, I don't think anyone in Washington, Oregon, or Idaho distributes hops uh, that have been sprayed within many, many weeks of, of harvest. So um, it's basically that we actually, we, that's actually a problem. So we actually have to sometimes, or our, not we, um, our growers sometimes have to sacrifice a field because they're not allowed to spray after a certain point. I see. Um, so it can come from the hops as a part of mitigating pests, but it, no, would, no, never, no, no, it would never survive to the end, to the, to the end product. The way, no, the way no, no, treated, no. So, right? so that, that's actually that's exactly what I'm saying. That it's not. Gotcha. So it will not be from that. I'm just trying to clarify that. Okay, it got, it, got, from, it, got it. Be from free from pesticide application. Um, but certain hops under certain conditions will privilege um, methionine production over cysteine production. Okay. And so those are two amino acids. One goes to wonderful Muscat Sauvignon Blanc grapefruit character. That one. That yes. would be cysteine. Mm-hmm. The other one goes to dank. OG excess sulfur. The whole onion garlic kind of thing? Correct. Right. And um, under certain conditions, and we're still trying to understand exactly what those are, the methionine gets uh, produced in excess. So that's the, sounds, sulfur, that's the sulfur compound. Yeah, they're, they're, both, they're, both, they're, both, they're both sulfur they're compounds. Both sulfur compounds. Yeah. It sounds to me, by the way you're describing it, that that's not a yeast strain. Uh, it's not strain dependent. It sounded to me like you were saying... Sometimes it just arises, and we're trying to figure that out in in any strain, like one that didn't have it before. No, no, no. This is hop. I understand. Sorry, not so, yeast strain. Exactly. Sorry. Any hop, hop variety? Hop variety. Yep. Uh, my fault. Uh, hop variety uh, that it might have not appeared in it in the last harvest, but could appear it in it in this harvest. Is that what I'm hearing? As yet undetermined. Okay. Um, I have noticed it more common with certain varieties, but yes. not consistently. So. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, we're working on it. Got it. Um, and it's it, and I have um, well, we we have uh, there's a lot of research on it that has. Narrowed it down to probably being from hops, but we don't know why. Th- we don't know why yet. Uh, it's really it's a fun question to answer because if we once we answer that one, we can also figure out how to get more grapefruit and more uh, of the muscat and sauvignon right. con- mm. content. But it is um, it's also one of the ones that's very very rarely, very rarely arises due to hops. In okay, here. 
Got it. Uh, because the MRLs or material, uh, basically the pesticide residue rules are so tight that it's not it's not going to be coming from that. And then the uh, uh, the cysteine versus methionine is not a huge component. It can be an important component, but it doesn't usually express that way. Okay. Just as a heads up, but that that is a possibility. But that was the, the that would be the last thing that I would look at in your brewery: water first, grain second. Uh, yeast, yeast management yep. third, infection fourth. Then, if all else fails, there's like four or if five. If all other. else fails, blame <laughs> your assistant brewer for taking a poop in the, in the fermenter. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's running out of nitrogen. No. Yeah. The, uh, sulfur, the sulfur's probably not coming from your hops, guys. If it's yeah, a actually, issue, you, you, y'all are brewers, so you drink a lot of coffee and probably a lot of beef jerky. So just, uh, <laughs> you know, just, 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 just deal with that one first. All right, let's deal with the one that I hate the most, which is, believe it or not, above these other ones we've talked about, is harsh bitterness. Right. Harsh bitterness is an interesting one. How would you guys describe harsh bitterness? Awful. <laughs> okay. Well, there, there's a certain uh, adjectives here. Yeah, right. You can get a certain quality to a bitterness. Like, I can make the same homebrewed pale ale a few times, and uh, it seems like if I choose a different bittering hop, I'm definitely getting a different result on the other side. Like, I choose, like, the old school wisdom was, like, high cohumulone might give you a, a harsher bitterness and that was the old school wisdom right but not necessarily correct but that was one way in which people used to think about mm-hmm. this kind of looking at a metric to try and figure out which which hop was going to give you right a more mellow bitterness or a, or a more harsh bitterness right um and it does seem variety dependent to some degree but there's mm-hmm. not a clear metric on how you might determine that you take the same hop calculate the same ibu you're gonna get a different result if i'm using Let's say CTZ versus Chinook versus uh, Horizon mm-hmm. or something, right? The, just just take those three and doing the same exact IBUs for the same exact pale ale. It's, it's going to have a different quality to the bitterness. Mm-hmm. Some seem more harsh than others. And that's just purely unscientific, experience-driven experiment stuff, right? As so I, I would shy away from using CTZ over time because that one seemed to be a harsher bittering quality and maybe lean more towards Simcoe Horizon. Those seem to have a more gentle bittering quality. What's interesting that you say that is that CTZ extract, um, probably up until next year, is still the most common form of bittering used in beers mm-hmm. around the world. Mm. Um, and so I th- I would challenge that, but I, what I would say is that CTZ extract doesn't have any of the polyphenols really in it. Aha. Uh-huh. Or not any of them, but doesn't have a lot of the polyphenols in it. Right. And so if you're using extract, and this is something I would like you to try, mm-hmm. why don't you try brewing a batch of the same beer? With the same hops, split it if you can. I mean, it's, this is challenging on a home brew level. No, it's doable. Yeah. But then do uh, CTZ, CTZ pellet. Pellet versus CTZ, CTZ extract. extract. Versus Horizon pellet versus Horizon extract versus Simcoe pellet versus Simcoe extract. And tell me what you perceive. So mm. it's some of it's polyphenol, vegetal matter related, not necessarily... I very much to... suspect this. Gotcha. And so we are going to be looking into this because there are compounds. So there are, now, so the whole cohumulant thing, I'm going to wait for Pat to get here in the next series of episodes because he um, knows more about... He has forgotten more about chemistry than I was aware existed. <laughs> um, like he is he's a, a veritable genius in this regard. Um, so he'll be able to really wax eloquent on on these matters but um that harsh bitterness for me uh, very frequently is is is, uh attendant to um polyphenol character Mm -hmm. as well as um something else because so so beyond the polyphenol character i i describe it as a back of the throat like whoa so the stringency is definitely from the polyphenols but that's just this back of the throat lingering bitterness like, like i i i like i 
That's the part I don't like. That like it, I chewed, I chewed a bunch of aspirin. Yeah, yeah. and it, it almost. I'm not saying it makes you choke. It's obviously not that intense. It's just not pleasant. Oh. But it, it does make you, yeah, feel like you're you're constricted, or it doesn't. It makes you feel like you need a glass of water, not another, not another glass of beer. Frequently, I don't. It's not even a glass of water for me after that. Um, for, for me, it's almost I need something sweet and throat coating. Okay, yeah, because it's it's like it's it's harsh. It's it's uh, yeah. you know it's borderline yeah. painful. It's like burning, sandpapery. Yeah, yeah, it's really, really nasty. Okay. So, so, what's a is there a metric that even exists for that that doesn't that's not part of how hops are evaluated and sold? Normally? Not, not really. So it's um, experience so driven. It's experience driven, but yeah. but that's one of those things that you know. As I said, we're we're working on this really robust sensory program that includes beer, not just hops, and mm-hmm. we're going to try to if we, we identify that, we're going to say, okay, well, what the hell is causing this? Because right. if you do identify, and I think this is what Nate's getting at, we we might end up with a separate measurement. We, we, we would have IBUs, and then we would also have this potentially separate measurement that, we, scraper? that we could all agree <laughs> upon. Um, so Some kind of a can, metric of bitterness quality. That we, yeah, the, the quality of the bitterness, exactly. And, and, that's, and that's something that um, I would personally love to do, because I think, it's, I think it, 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 it makes things better for everyone. Yeah. And okay. so I, I get, um, you know, I, I'll get uh, requests from breweries um, saying, uh, we would like to have this quality of bitterness, or we would like to, to approach bitterness from this way. I'm like, okay, I need, I need way more time technical information than that. Yeah. Right. Like you're just saying you want this, but you're in Belgium or you're in China or you're in South America. I'm like, what? Like, let's, let's, we need to come to a common description as to what sure. bitterness of is. Of course. Right. Because interestingly enough, some, some, some cultural areas actually want that, like a more assertive like the, 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 tough the, the, bitterness. Yeah. The, that rasp in the back of your throat. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and it, it, it fits with their cuisine. Right, um, and I think I, I, I think that there's a, a huge cuisine um, association to this, so it's okay. going to be interesting. So for now, until uh, y'all at Yakima Chief Hops break through uh, this part for us, uh, what do we do to troubleshoot the bitterness, the, the this harsh bitterness and lingering bitterness? So I would say um, you don't want to overboil your hops. Okay, and that's again to that contact time thing. At high temperatures, contact time should be shortened. So if you're doing a 90 or 120 minute boil, don't put them in at zero minutes. Right. Um, it's you're gonna get you're gonna get some tea. You're gonna get all. You're gonna. I summarize a 65, 60, 75 minutes max. 60 minutes, 75 minutes. It's it, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be variety dependent. Um, gotcha. And possibly even lot dependent. Yep. Uh, or format dependent. Uh, whole format leaf, whole leaf versus yeah, whole, yeah. Um Again, whole leaf is always going to contribute more of those polyphenols than, than mm-hmm. normal. And if you're using whole leaf, um, if you like your beer, I would definitely steer you towards T90 or other formats because, right. um, Understood. you know, like volume issues. Um, but, um, you know, just li- like limit the contact time. Try, try to use your hops efficiently. And I know I probably shouldn't say this as a hop dude, but uh, uh, my, my goal is to help you all make better beer. Um, well, this makes sense, and it follows the trend that we see anyway. Um, even uh, since uh, the Brewing Network has been in existence, it, it started to – the trend toward late hopping, right? Uh, so we still have our bittering hops, and actually some some don't. Some don't even have the 60-minute hop oh, yeah. anymore. Um, but exactly what you're saying really follows the trend we see anyhow, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, where our, 
our, our pale ales, our session IPAs, our New England IPAs are all really seeing the late hop charge anyway. And it, and it sounds like that's part of it. One of the things we like about these beers is their their rounded bitterness. They're, it's a much smoother experience. And it's limiting that polyphenol extraction yeah. a little bit. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And I can't, I can't say it's all of the polyphenols yet, sure. but we're, we're working on that. Po- component um, of this. Yeah. Sure. There, there, I, I, suspe- I strongly suspect there's a component there. But a big thing also with these, these New England IBMs is that, is that uh, and, and the late hop ones, which I, which I love the late hop ones, and I like the very hop forward flavor ones. Um, I don't like muddled beer, which we'll get into. Um, <laughs> right. But the um, that hop flavor character is is what drives it. So the bitterness needs to be there. And I, I typically I would prefer if more more New England IPAs were actually more bitter. I would say on average about ten IBU more bitter. It supports just, the hop flavor better. It supports the hop flavor better because yes. at the moment they're just and kinda, the aroma too. It's kind of like a, a just a for me they're they're just filling. And I don't want a beer that's filling. Right. That, that's what dinner is for. Beer should be, <laughs> I want to drink more of this, and I'm not going to get, it, it should be, give me the illusion that I'm not going to get fat. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, okay. All right. Astringency, I think we kind of, this This is the next one, and I think that kind of links up to what we've been talking about. Again, it's exposure. Mm-hmm. Um, too much vegetable matter for too long is going to give you a stringent character. Or even, again, back to that little, uh, quadrant quadrangle diagram is that if you quadrangle quadrant diagram um, quadrangle or a square <laughs> um, the quadrant diagram if you just add a hell of a lot of hot matter for a little mo- small amount of time yeah you're gonna have more astringency does this just account because of that vegetal matter just because presence. it's it's, I mean, it's like it's like you know you can make a, 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 a cup of tea with one tea bag and move it up and down and get the right extraction and then take it out and then it's perfect. Yep. Or you can make a tea. I'm very. This is very British. Um, or you can make a tea bag with one tea bag and let it sit there for like three days, and <laughs> then take it out. And you're like, oh, the first part is very quite lovely, and then the second part is like, oh my god, my face is melting. Um, or you can take a tea bag and add six to, uh, a cup and add six to it and just go blah 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 blah, blah <laughs> and then it's just going to taste like tea leaves, which is not necessarily pleasant. Okay. So. So this uh, does this count for both the hot side and the cold side? Yeah. Okay, pretty so much in the uh, kettle, and like, and also if we're dry hopping. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Uh, now again, format is very important, mm-hmm. and so that's that this is actually exactly the reason this and the harsh bitters is exactly the reason we we designed the cryo process. Okay, it's because we wanted it to be get all the juice, and if not none of the 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 leafy astringency and vegetal matter, right? At least. Less of it. So the cryo hops that you, that Yakamachi makes it could it potentially solves this it, this very issue by getting it. Uh, it addresses the issue. I'm not going to say it solves it, okay. it but it, it definitely addresses the issue. You can get a lot more in per barrel um, without as much uh, vegetable matter, basically, and, and also wastage. Got um, it. Which is the which was actually we didn't even think about that when we made it. it was just, like silly on our part, but um, it's a uh, yeah. It's 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 all the fruity joy. Okay, efficiency. And less potential negative yeah. effects. Yeah. yeah, you definitely see it. Now, as I said before about cryo, um, at really high levels, you, you're you're going to perceive a lack of that throat, scrapey, dankness, assertive vegetal hop character. It's up to you whether or not that's a good thing. Got um, it. So, uh, personally, I like that. Yeah. And a lot of the New England IPAs are really, really big fan of that. Um, and in, in beers, but things you can also just add that back. It's exactly. Like, you, know, you can get there. And this is the fine control thing. That's, yep. that's, that's why I like it. Anyway, um, I got to talk to you about that so you can play with it. Um, Absolutely. 
Um, fruitiness. Excessive fruitiness. Yeah. All right. So excessive fruitiness is a special one. So um, typically there are two compounds that are associated with fruitiness in uh, – they're majorly associated with fruitiness in beer. And uh, the number one being the ester ethyl butyrate. Mm-hmm. Um, which is just general fruitiness slash tropical fruit. Ethyl lactate, I guess I'm not going to, it's not just two, but ethyl lactate, which is pineapple. Um, and then you end up with the citrusy compounds, which we've discussed at length, so linalool, citronellol, citral A and B, et cetera, and the floral geraniol. Altogether, they, they, they work together. And you can also get butyric acid, which in mm. very small amounts, mm-hmm. very, very small, like, like PPB amounts, parts per billion, um, and I'm, I'm talking like single-digit parts per billion, um, contributes to fruity aroma. Mm-hmm. Interesting. However, once it gets in, uh, excessively high, that is an indication of su- pretty severe infection yes. and baby vomit. Okay. And like like new milk baby vomit that has sat on on, on your shirt for That's like three enough. days that you forgot about. Okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, horrible. We horrible. get it. All right. Um, Anyway, so that excessive freeness is is one that's um, you have to basically look at the oil profiles and the characters of your hops. So if you're smelling your hops, if you're so so oil profiles, you know I'm working on getting these to y'all. But um, when when you're rubbing your hops and smelling them, you need to evaluate your beer after you've added these hops, and you need to keep careful, careful notes of these things. So this hop blot smelled like this. Mm-hmm. Added to the beer, freaking brilliant. Okay. Yeah. Oh, this hop lot smelled a lot like the previous one, and I would write down the same character, but it has this added element of guava or what have you. Awesome. Right. Okay. Add to the beer. Oh shit, baby vomit. Got it. And, right. And so you need to you need to, you need to. And this is something that I'm going to harp on for the rest of my time on this show. Take damn notes so about everything. This is interesting. So to troubleshoot this one, it, it's it's diff, It's it's more time consuming. It's more of a process because you're saying I can take those hops, I can rub them in my hand. They smell exactly like the last batch I got from you, and and they reacted differently in the beer. And if I make notes on that, you're maybe able to go back and look at the the chemical makeup of that batch because of the lot number difference between what you're using today versus what you had a so month ago so it's not ago, the exact maybe. same hops and this is very important this was the same genetic material maybe even from the same farm but harvested at a different time got it not just harvested at a different time processed on a different day processing is we're, we're, we're really freaking tight on that gotcha. um, it's going to be more about rootstock age Okay. As well as soil terroir, which we talked about in the previous episode, yep. which you probably missed. Yeah. Um, but, uh, okay. yeah, so there's all that. But now the other side of it is is that that excessive fruity character is the hops can contribute to the um, what's the word? amplification of that character. But hops on their own are not going to give it to you. Okay. The point that's, is, that's you, a yeast management issue. Justin could give Nick a number based on the lot or based on what. Uh, box you, he hell, has, you, hell, and you, and you, you can, can find out exactly. No, what you that can look was, it up right? on uh, your on your own. On your, even you better. can go to yakimachief.com uh, right now and check it out. The Yakima Chief hops, right? I think both of them work now. Yeah, uh, yakimachief.com, and you can look up the lot number now. But anyhow, point being here, take notes, and that's how you troubleshoot this issue. Exactly. Yeah. And the 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 big issue here is that um, hops will will exacerbate this problem, but they are not the cause of it. The cause of it is yeast. And so if you're getting excessive esterification or ester production during your fermentation, that is going to lead to excessive fruitiness. 
So yeast stress, for example, producing, um, if they're a little bit undernutrified uh, uh, under and if they're a little bit um, stressed in terms of alcohol production and potentially don't have enough oxygen, mm-hmm. you could possibly get an excess of ethyl hexanoate production. Ethyl hexanoate tastes like red apples and aniseed. Um, and, in, and that's one of the of the esters that that, that is that is apparent, ethyl butyrate is going to happen. That's that's that is more strain dependent, but it, all of them produce it. So WLP001 or 1056 or what have you, um, you know USO5. Those are all like pr- those are like what 90 percent of us use. Um, those produce it in in non non insignificant quantities. Okay, um, and under the right conditions for producing that, but under the wrong conditions for the yeast, they're going to produce excess. And depending on your salt balance, your nutrient balance, and your oxygen, and your yeast age, and your lipids available to the yeast, you're going to produce more or less. Higher lipid quant- content um, in your in your wort is going to result in a higher ester production. Okay. Um, so you got to watch out for that. Got it. We have just enough time to <laughs> go into lack of character. Okay. Um, you lack bitterness. Add more hops. There you go. <laughs> See, but the I, right kind if, at the right time. If, if Justin, that one we can do it. If Justin can answer it, <laughs> it's hardly a problem to troubleshoot. But uh, okay. no, it's but it's a big one. Yeah. Um, lack of cleanliness. Snap. Lack Gentlemen. of cleanliness. Snap. Add more hops. Mm. Add different hops. Uh, Hop quality. Uh, <laughs> timing. Ah. Uh, Timing, back to the quantity, temperature, all these. Quantity, temperature, timing, so it's exposure. And also, um, I would say that it is a variety. Yes. Um, And it's also, um, you know, the bitterness, if if you're adding them early enough, you don't actually need to add that many hops because you're going to get pretty good isomerization. Right. But if you focus on clean bitterness... Add a hop that doesn't have a lot of character beyond bitterness. That's what you want to do. Mm. So Magnum and Hercules are hops that I love for this, and these are German hops. Um, and uh, It's bitterness and bitterness only, essentially. That's what they do. It's not bitterness only, but okay. it, that's the majority character of it. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, we've got some varieties coming out pretty soon. I think uh, Pato is one that, that's exciting. Um, but it's really about... I was uh, thinking a warrior in that sense, too. Yeah. It, right. There's no warrior. It doesn't, it doesn't yield very well. Mm. So we're, um, we're, we're shifting at, away from that. But CTZ used to be the, the, used to the, be king, that the king realm. Yeah. Um, and it was, very, it was pretty good bitterness. It was, it was a big bitterness. But it was a good bitterness, um, and so you know, if you use the right amounts of the right thing, even 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 of a harsh bittering hop, it's gonna it's gonna give you that snap. Okay. Um, again, the big thing with that one, the cleanliness snap is dry beer. So like right. below ten oh eight. So I'm talking like two Play-Doh and below. Again, finishing. where the yeast performance meets what hops you're using. No, no, not yeast performance. Them? This no? is the finished. I'm talking about finished product here. Yes. So this is uh, you want to if you want a, a nice clean bitter snap. You don't want to have a lot of sugar there mm-hmm. to have good attenuation. Little, yeah, you want a good attenuation. So like like below two Play-Doh final gravity. So like pretty dang low. Okay. Um, a big one is okay. Flavor easy. More late hops. More late hops. Got Flavor it. comes from hot side reactions, so late in Whirlpool hops. If you're on a commercial scale and you're cast, you're knockout, you're running into the FE, whatever the hell you want to call it, is about 45 minutes, you're going to want to add more, add them in the Whirlpool. Okay. You know, maybe just before flame out. If you're a home brewer and your knockout is like uh, four minutes and 38 seconds, right, right. Yay, chugger pumps, um, chuck them in. 
10 minutes, 15 minutes, 10, somewhere 15, around there. Somewhere around 20 minutes before. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you all have the advantage of using hot backs in a really easy way. Right. Um, and I have always found that's really great because you're getting hot work. Right in there. And it's right into the cooler. And so you're, it, that works really oh, well. Oh, yeah. Those are fun on the home brewing level. Oh, I, absolutely. Yeah. On a pro brewing level, they're just a freaking nightmare. They're insane, yeah. Um, <laughs> and then um, a really important one, I think, is top notes. Okay, so the aromatics. If you feel your beer is missing aromatics, you need to look at a couple of things. Obviously, the quality of your hops. Yes. Obviously, your processing. So are you are you blowing it all out of your FV because you're dry hopping during fermentation, or you're bump browsing using CO two and your 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 uh, downpipe is open? Um, what what's going on here? Um, to literally allowing the volatiles that to stay in the beer, to stay in the beer, not yeah. come out somewhere, and not come somehow, out, right? right? So, um, when I dry hop, so I've already taken all the yeast off. When I when I when I dry hop a tank, I cap it and I mm-hmm. cap it at pressure, and I try to account for the amount of headspace in there because the volatiles, by nature, are going to go up in the solution. And so once I dry hop, I do I do a recirculation for eight to twelve hours. I mean, you only need six to six to eight. We did twelve because of just shift patterns. Um, cap your tank and crash it. So that's gonna uh, that's gonna more suck stuff into solution. So you got okay. you got you, now you gotta put top pressure on this thing about 0.5 bar, which is like seven psi. So like two to se- uh, three to seven psi. So it's pulling that CO2 back into so solution as you crash the. And I'm not worried down. about the CO2, but I'm worried about what's in the CO2. Uh-huh. I'm worried about the volume in the headspace. In the headspace. Okay. And then it never lo- never goes below that that pressure, and it never goes above that temperature until we until it's processed through a centrifuge filter finding whatever the hell you want to do until the bright tank. It so basically, stays at that crash tank. And so you don't, so you're not blowing off any aromatics. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you get to the bright tank, there's always going to be a little bit of loss, but okay. finally, um, in kegs, I'm sure homebrewers have noticed this. First few draws, eh, pretty good, because let's face it, we're homebrewers, and so like, you know, we've carved it four hours before, oh, sweet, I want to taste my new IPA! <laughs> and they're like, oh, no, that, that, that that's, that's not amazing. So, Two things. One, hop aromatics are volatile. And when you agitate the shit out of beer, like mm. transferring it or centrifuging it, they're going to go back into suspension. Okay? You want them to be coming out of suspension to be able to smell them. I see. So they have to stabilize and they have to get, they have to get a little more comfortable in their environment. So uh, we've noticed this a ton in, the, in, in, in pro brewing is that... Uh, on transfer, the beer is kind of like uh, in the tank. The beer is like amazing. And then on transfer, it's like in the bright tank. They're like, oh, what did we spit everything out of it? And then about a week or two later, it's like, whoa, there it is. There again. it is again. And okay, so stuff's coming out of suspension. Um, anecdotal, gonna have to prove it. But talk to anybody that runs a centrifuge. They're gonna they're gonna talk about yeah, that. That makes sense. Okay. Second thing is size of your final vessel, and more importantly, the headspace. So because they're volatile and you have a keg, first couple of pints, maybe meh, there's no headspace. Second couple, third, fourth, fourth, down to 50%, 30% of your, or sorry, 60, 60 to 50 to 60% of your tank of your, of your keg volume or your serving tank volume. Amazing. So aromatic. Beyond that, wow, it's dead. No, all the aromatics are in the headspace. Headspace matters in headspace terms of aromatics in the beer. Big time matters. Yeah. And to all your probers out there packing, um, there's some good papers, and you can find these pretty easily online. They're free. Um, talking about the um, impact of oxygen scavenger caps and cap liners for, for bottles 
on hop compounds. And linalool and geraniol, two of the big drivers of aromatics, and myrcene, actually, are all absorbed very, very heavily by these liners. Hmm. So you're uh, degrading your hop aroma by using, by potentially by picking them. It's not a hard. Not it's not degrading, a, but it's you're absorbing stuff that could be in the headspace that might be delicious. Gotcha. Um, they're and that's that's the oxygen barrier ones. Um, also, when they get wet, they kind of don't work really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the um, regular crown cap membranes have have a similar issue. And it's just because of the nature of the material. These are volatile organic hydrocarbons. Okay. So they're gonna get stuck into a matrix that is made of hydrocarbons it's just it's just chemistry got it um but uh that's something to consider okay does that cover it oh hell no for today for today it covers it i think but we're going to get into this later on um and we're going to as we find out more and uh, as we get more expertise uh we're going to dig into this pretty deep so yeah uh any one of these uh components that we've talked about could merit a whole show and you might just get that uh because that's what we do here on the hop and brew school podcast we're just giving you a little basis here in the first few episodes but coming up in our next episode we're actually diving right into hop chemistry so we will uh bring up any of these things uh, that we've talked about, talk about them in greater detail, and even bring up future shows about any one of them. For now, send your show ideas or questions to Hop and Brew School uh, at thebrewingnetwork.com. Hop and Brew School at thebrewingnetwork.com. That's a great way to get to us. And uh, what? One day we might just do whole shows on your questions, right? Please. That would be fantastic. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good idea. Uh, also, go to yakimachief.com and check out what they're doing over there. Like we mentioned on today's uh, podcast, you can look up your lot numbers right there and see what's what about the very hops that you're using. Uh, find us on iTunes and Google Play. Tell your friends if they want to learn more about hops, please do, because we want to drink better beer, and that's what we're here for. Nate, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Justin. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, sir. Until next time, hopheads. Yeah, we're out of here. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. Uh